Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. which is, of course, German for attention, attention, or attention, attention in French. You see, that's the thing about this show. We're across pr- basically one and a half languages. On this oh, day... Oh, it, attenzione, attenzione. Attenzione, ah, oh, there he is. Uh, the, the Italian fox himself. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, forget um, uh, German, I'm on Italian yeah. now. <laughs> um, on this day in 1941, of course, the first fighting between British and German forces took place in the Libyan town of Sirte in North Africa and it would not be the last that's when it that's that's when shit gets real in North Africa isn't it basically yeah it is really yeah 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 it is really yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how many uh, we welcome. captured by then about 120,000 Italians mm. something yeah, like that yeah that's O'Connor amazing. Operation Compass uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and my brother-in-arms, so to speak, James Holland. Now, before we get into the meat and drink of uh, the day, uh, this weekend being Valentine's Day, you read a number of love letters, didn't you, James, from Bill Wharton, who fought with the Sherman Rangers oh, Yeomanry. Yeah. Um, lovely feedback from everyone on that. Um, uh, now, a number of listeners, though, have been in touch, desperate to know whether, because you, you, you left everyone on this colossal romantic cliffhanger. <laughs> Desperate to know whether Bill made it through the fighting and got to see his newborn baby. Well, the short answer is yes, he did. Uh, I'm glad to say he was wounded, oh, just like everybody goodness. else was. Um, and so he actually, I think he's back by it was it was it Guile and Kirk, and he gets wounded, um, maybe or was it Giel? I can't remember. Anyway, he you know he does get wounded and he's back, and that's his his war over. So thank goodness. Right. So he's back in time for the birth of his, his first child. He has three kids. They live happily ever after. They're married and have a long marriage and live to a grand, grand old age. And actually, I was talking to his son Michael yesterday and um it's just been it's been an incredible privilege to have that little window on on someone's thoughts yeah that were written yeah. there then at that precise moment and i think yeah. what's really interesting about him is is you know what i love about bill is the fact that you know he was obviously a complete gentleman but but you know he he worked his way up through the ranks you know he was he, yeah. he, he was sort of yeomanry farming stock um his father went into the printing business um, he was one of four sons, I think. He was the second oldest, and I think his youngest brother's still alive. And, you know, the war made him. You know, it absolutely yeah. made him. But it doesn't get away from the fact that, that his wife, Marion, you know, they married in the summer of 1939. And he didn't really see it, apart from, you know, a month and a bit um, at the beginning of 1944, until he got back at the end of that year. So a long time apart, you know. It's a hell of a long time to kind of that's keep that all going, going, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and good on him. And and you know, I remember, you know, when I was doing some documentary ages ago. Um, actually, it was that world. It was that World War Speed one, the one about drugs. We talked yeah. to this neuroscientist at Cambridge, and she was saying, "Well, the thing, you know, the thing that's really interesting is that um, brains don't develop the kind of fear, you know, sort of risk concerns, caution." Until you're about mm. 26 to 28, which right. is why she said, you know, as long as there's young men, there's always going to be wars because yeah, you yeah. kind of think you're invincible. So it is kind of definitely easier if you're if you're 20 or 19 or whatever. It doesn't seem that yeah. way, but it sort of is. No. But after that, you start to be a bit more cautious. And, you know, if, if one thinks about one's own life, you know, 
you know, I guess that was the sort of time I started wearing a kind of cycling helmet and <laughs> that, kind of st- <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know, and sort of driving a bit yeah. more sensibly and not kind of careering yeah. around quite so much because you suddenly think, oh, okay, got to be a bit careful here. So that all yeah. kind of adds up. And then you think about Bill Wharton, you know, he's 32, you know, that, uh, you know he's got a child yeah. on the way. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. see all these people doing it. And actually he wins an MC at, uh, at Heel. Um, in Belgium, and an incredible action. I mean, his bravery is amazing. And it also, you know, he he's also, um, say, rescued John Hanson Lawson and, and two of his crew when they're brewed up at the end of June. So, you know, yeah. he's not shy. You know, he, he, he gets out there. And he was obviously a really, really remarkable man. Um, and I think those letters are just, they're just, they're so evocative of a moment in time. Yeah. And he just comes yeah. across as a really good bloke. And then you see the picture of him, and he looks like a good bloke, doesn't he? I mean... <laughs> it yeah, helps, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um uh well, uh, yeah, we we um we the feedback we had on that was really great, James. And um uh if you want to keep your family stories coming in, send them to the Patreon. Um I can't remember the email address off the top of my head. I think it's we family stories. Sto- oh, is it family stories? No, it's you've got a head, you've got a um you've got a um uh title them family stories and it's we have ways pod at gmail.com isn't it that's it yeah because because we really love we really love this um you know filling filling in the in the gaps because after all we do talk a lot about you know raw numbers statistics we've talked to a lot of economic historians on this podcast and and they present the sort of economic view of you know why the allies can't lose and why the germans can't win or what or whatever Uh, but actually getting and getting people's accounts the what it was like thing it, that's harder. To, that's harder to come by. So any any stuff that helps fill in the picture, I think, is really, really, really useful, isn't it? It's uh, really like paints the colours in because a lot of it's kind of if, you, if you're just doing the numbers, it's it's a bit it's a bit um, monochrome, isn't it? Yeah. Say, yeah. 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 No, I think I, it's lovely having all these letters in and stories. And of course, there's so many yeah. hidden stories, aren't there? And the point is to try and. Yeah. Make them a little less hidden. It's we have yeah, ways absolutely. podcast at gmail.com. That's right. We have ways podcast at gmail.com. Sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, uh, no, cross sorry out too. what you wrote down just now. Um, now, <laughs> many of you enjoyed uh, many of you enjoyed Marty Morgan on the live stream last Thursday night. We were discussing the role of U-boats in the Bay of Mexico. And goodness me, Marty was a fantastic storyteller. Knew everything. That locker, the story of the locker. Ah, amazing. So I've I've been having conversations with publishers in New York, with, with Uber agents in really? New York since then. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're all absolutely all over it. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fan- That's fantastic. Yeah. They, they're, they're absolutely brilliant. Um, so we have ways make a wish foundation there getting interaction. <laughs> and uh, this this Thursday, this Thursday uh, we have a first an Austrian guest on the show, Bernard Cast, who runs the YouTube channel Military History Visualized. If anyone's uh, been to that channel, it's fantastic. He's six hundred thousand subscribers. His stuff is brilliant and bringing a whole new audience to the subject we love. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I can the way he does it. I can sit through a twenty minute video about ammunition. Yeah, no, no, he's <laughs> so, great, isn't it? It's really, really interesting. So do please join us for that. And he's he's got he, he comes at things from a um, a very interesting angle, and you know, it is uh, up to his neck in the in the sources, the German sources for stuff, which very yeah. often people haven't really looked at, which is quite interesting. That a lot of the historiography is is layer upon layer upon layer of stuff that doesn't necessarily come from the sources. Well, and um, also as an author, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I know Anthony does a huge, Anthony Beaver does a huge amount of research and, you know, spends half his life at, at Freiburg at the military archives. There. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, what he's looking at is, is kind of... Um, Eyewitness accounts, letters, um, unit histories, and all the rest of it. But what what Bernard Cass has been doing has been getting into that kind of 
that granular detail of production figures and the bureau, well, the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy it all, of it, and it, well, yeah, yeah. it's the operational level, Al, and and you know, uh, it's, I it's, call it the I call it the bureaucratic level. I think it's separating away. <laughs> I think we need to come up with another level, the bureaucratic level. Yeah, absolutely. You okay. know, and if you've well, got, I'm happy with that. If you've got, if, a, if you've got a decently functioning bureaucracy, then you can achieve what you're trying to achieve on the operational level. If you haven't, you can't. Yeah, no, fair point. Fair point. Okay, I'll buy that. Yeah. I'll go with that. Okay. Yes! Yeah, I'll go with yes. that. Okay, the bureaucratic level. There's four <laughs> levels of war. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but he's been doing all that, which, which of course, is the stuff that really reveals different stuff. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, especially when you get into when you get into you know uh, uh, ideas about doctrine and training and all that sort of thing. To actually, he's actually sniffed around in all of that and uh, yeah, and, yeah. and and try, tried to find out you know pre- precisely what people were saying to each other at the time. By the way, um, uh, before we came on air, we were talking about something really interesting, and I don't want us to forget it, which is you've been you've been looking into this battle um, uh, in in Berjou in in Normandy. Yeah, well, um, this, is, this is all part of the Sherwood Rangers stuff. So yeah. So. Um, they finish Operation Blue Coat, which is the kind of sort of drive south in the kind of sort of middle of the line from Comont down to Carvaire yep. and Ornay and Montpinson. Uh, yep. And so they've done that. And that's been a kind of big, stiff, terrible, bloody battle. Yeah. Then they have a kind of couple of days off and then, then they're straight on again. And, and what they're doing is trying to drive a wedge further south. Um, so southwest west of Falaise, which is part of the closing of the pocket. Yeah. The sort of western end of the pocket, yeah, um, and and that goes okay. And then they reach the River Noiro, and the River Noiro is is not very wide. It's only kind of sort of twenty foot wide or something. So they've crossed the Orne, haven't they? The the Orne, the yes, Orne is north yes, of Berjou, yes, yes. right? Right, right. So okay. the Orne, the, the the start of the Orne is in the middle of the Blue Coat operation. It's a little village called Jerk, um, between yeah. Jerk and La Bigne, uh, which yeah. is an, uh, on De Fontaine. Those are the kind of sort of row and and they're all perched on these ridges and then it sort of drops down to the kind of Orne Valley and then it climbs up to another ridge and then it dips again yeah. and then there's a the big yeah. ridge of Onde Fontaine which is the Bois de Homme um, which yeah. is which is this this big long wooded ridge and anyway, then they press south and they, they're overlooking the, the river Noireau and, and, and the Noireau is, is in quite a steep sided kind of gorge even though yeah. it's not very big and wooded and the Germans are on the other side obviously and they've got to get across the Noireau which has been covered by the usual kind of Yod Nebelwerfer, um, yeah. MGs, mortars, that kind of stuff. The kind of you know what yeah. what a what a a totally on foot and horse and cart army can kind of yeah. gather around, but still a kind of really tough fight to get across. Well, and plenty to deal with if you're infantry uh, is what that comes down to. Yes, yeah, so and and it's very very tough for the armor to get across the Nora because of course the Germans have blown up all the bridges as they would yeah. when they retreat. So my friend Stan Perry, who you may remember, I went to interview and we put out as a I think three podcasts back back yeah. last summer. So he was because he'd been briefly in the SAS. He was asked to go and wreck it in the middle of the night. They basically got there, leagued up, done all their kind of prep, and you know checking and maintenance checks and all the rest of it and then go um yeah. and then he gets called up by Stanley Christopherson and said look can you go down and do a wreck and see if there's any crossing place for tanks tomorrow morning so he goes yeah. and finds a place where he can see cattle have been down and there's a kind of sort of gorge down another kind of little wooded valley where they could sort of possibly advance with the tanks so that's what they yeah. do and he's then because he's wrecked it he's then told to be the lead troop right and the lead man the point man 
Yeah, yeah. And, and because they've actually taken some hits over the last few days, there's only three complete troops in C Squadron. But C Squadron have got to leave because he's the guy who's done the recce and he's in C Squadron. Right, right, right. So off they go, and they do manage to get across, even though the, the, the sappers are kind of clearing mines as they get down there. The infantry are then getting bogged down on these incredibly steep wooded slopes. And they're right. supposed, and this is from the Duke of Cornwall Light Infantry, and they haven't worked with the DCLI before. And it, right. what, what you notice is that whenever they haven't worked together before, there are problems Thanks. because yeah. they haven't worked together before. So it's just, you know, yeah. suddenly you're having to be, you're being put together. There's no kind of warm up match. It's straight into the test match, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so the infantry are kind of being peppered by machine guns and mortars and stuff. And they're stuck on these lower wooded slopes and they want to clear the wooded slopes. But that's not what they've been told to do in the tanks. They've been told to get up to the ridge. And, and clear Berju, this village perched in farmland on the top of this ridge. But to right. do that, they've got to go through a winding road that kind of winds its way up and clears the wood and all the rest of it, and which yeah, is not yeah. up the steep wooded slides which the infantry can go, but which they can't. Yeah. So Stan gets into an argument with the infantry officer, reports to Jack Coleman, who's his squadron commander, says, well, what do you want me to do? You know, the infantry guy's standing me to go, I've got to kind of support the infantry, but, but you know, my orders from you and from Stanley are to get up to Berjou. And Jack Holmes yeah. says, no, get your ass up to Berjou. So suddenly he's on his own without infantry. And and in that very close country where you've got eight foot, ten foot... And a wi- on a winding road, you go oh, around the corner, road. there's a there's yeah. a Panzerfaust, there's a Pack, pack 45, Pack 75, whatever. 100%. So you imagine what it's like being the point man. Leading that tank, you know, you are just everyone in there. The the nerves are absolutely taut that at any moment yeah. this could be your last gasp because you're going to yeah. be pounced on by some mad Jerry yeah. who's going to got as you say got yeah. a Panzerfaust or something. Anyway, they get first of all one Panzerfaust whips off their aerial, and he hears it kind of sliver Boing. and slide yeah. against the, yeah. against the turret, and it's gone. And suddenly, all he's got is his internal net, his intercom. But yeah. but the A and B nets, the the B net for the rest of the troop and the A net for the rest of the squadron regiment, yeah, that's gone. Yeah. So he thinks, okay, well, what do I do? But I'm, you know, I'm the point man. I can't just sort of turn around. Um, I hope that the other two guys in my troop follow, and I'll, I'll just keep going. Yeah. So he keeps going, but he goes off the road so that he's not on a road because he said, you know, I always kind of worry about roads. So yeah, yeah. that took him time, and and. and you know, one of the guys was uh, suddenly he wasn't behind him anymore. So suddenly he's on his own. And what he doesn't realise yeah. is that the tr- tank behind him is actually has been done in by a Panzerfaust. Yeah. So the third one is then quite a long way behind because he's got to work around the one that's been knocked yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. They're okay, yeah, the guys, yeah. but they are the tank's knocked out. So Stan then gets right up to the top and suddenly emerges out of this wooden ridge line. And there it is, this kind of sort of Eden at the top. Normal, normally an Eden, but now a place of absolute sort of hellish, yeah. nightmarish yeah. place for tanks, let alone yeah. a tank, let alone a tank with no infantry. And yeah. of course, the moment they get there, down come all the mortars. You know, the odd Nebelwerfers kind of screaming in, machine guns, yeah. clatter, clatter, yeah. clatter against the side of the tank. Whoosh, yeah. another Panzerfaust comes in, bangs a hole in the front glasses of the of the hull. And, the, and a little glob goes straight between the legs of the lap gunner and singes his trousers. But they're OK, amazingly. So they've got a hole in the front. And Christ. they reach this cavalry. This sort of, you know, cross that you have in France and stuff. You see them yeah. all over the place in those little yeah, wayside. Yeah, yeah. And his gunner, uh, and they're just recovering from this Panzerfaust here, and his gunner says, look, I'm Catholic. You know, do you mind if I get out and uh, offer a prayer? I really think I'm going to need this. 
And Stan says, there's absolutely no way you're getting out, but we can do the <laughs> prayer bit if you feel that strongly about it. <laughs> God. So they do, so they do they do the prayer bit, and just that, there's even more sort of ping, ping, ping all around the, the tile yeah. stuff. So, so Stan thinks, okay, wow, I'm going to get down of here. And you know, you've got that, those two bits, the, the two halves of the of the of yeah. the of the turret yeah. hood hatch. Clunk. Yeah. So as he's pulling one down with his left hand, he feels this bee sting on his arm, and suddenly realizes it's completely useless, and goes inside and is bleeding, and he's got a bullet in his arm, and his arm is broken. Jesus. Yeah, but, you know, it's that kind of sort of numbing kind of extreme yeah, yeah, pain yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's sort of okay. Yeah. So yeah. his gunner then splints him up, at having you know, but first of all, they kind of spray all the trees. So he's been sniped. So they spray all the yeah. trees in front of him and see a guy fall out. So they've got oh. the sniper. And they basically just blast everything in sight and yeah. move to the, to the left up this slight rise. Yeah. Then as they're doing that, they get another Panzerfaust in the um, in the in the you know the the front left hand wheel sprocket, the yep. drive sprocket. Yeah, yeah. So one of the tank tracks is off, and yep. they're now on their own on this hill, with lots of shit coming down. And what do you do? So amazingly, his driver accelerates and brakes hard, accelerates and brakes hard, accelerates and brakes hard, and manages to. Get back. Meantime, his, his operator has worked up a very, very feeble kind of secondary aerial and has got the radio yeah. going and manages to very faintly get hold of Jack Holman. And Jack Holman says, yeah. get out of there, come back if you can. So he does yeah. a wide loop, missing out the road and the thing and disappears. And so doesn't see any anyone else at all. Has no idea what's going on. Meanwhile, God. Stuart Hills is in the third troop, following behind Frank Galvin. And Frank Galvin's yeah. troop, you can't get hold of Frank Galvin. Frank Galvin's now, now sort of moved on up. And Galvin has, has just completely disappeared. There's just no sign of him. And what he's supposed to be doing is, is waiting for Frank Galvin to get up and then Frank Galvin would do a left hook into Berju and they would then yeah. plough on straight into the road into Berju. But nothing's happened. He can't yeah. help. And suddenly there's Brooks on the, on the, on the A net, the, the, the squadron net, the regimental net, going, yeah. I'm on my own here. You've got to get your ass up. I urgently, urgently need reinforcements. I'm being absolutely peppered. Get your ass up here now. So Hills just thinks... Okay, fine. Well, we better get up there. So he then moves on up, and only then do they realise that Galvin has been brewed up and yeah. every single one incinerated. Yeah. yeah. And the other two tanks, because they were on the B net, they couldn't communicate with them because they were on the troop yeah. net. Yeah. So suddenly they're all, they're up there, and now there's kind of Hills is three tanks. There's Brooks. Um, there's the other two tanks from Galvin's um, um, troop. So there's a bit, and some suddenly suddenly some infantry are starting to kind of to join them. So Hills is able to organise the Essex Yeomanry to kind of bring down, have a stonk on kind of what he yeah. thinks are the positions. And suddenly the situation yeah. is starting to get a little bit easier. And yeah. he tells Brooks to get out of there and go back. He's got some wounded on board and just get out of there. Yeah. But suddenly the mortars come in and they get, and they get, and they get stonked and some Nebelwerfers. And, yeah. and, and Brooks gets blown out of the turret. And seeing this... Guy Sanders, who's got an MM and who is an absolute, you know, squadron legend, jumps yeah. out of his tank to go to Brooks's aid. And at that moment, there's a mortar stonk. God. And we were watching that footage that I sent you last night. Yeah. yeah, yeah where yeah, yeah, it's literally yeah, yeah. every two seconds there's another mortar yeah, going yeah. in. It's like, boom, yeah. boom, 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 yeah, yeah. boom, just going in and in and in. So what, yeah. what happens when those mortar stonks come in is suddenly on an area of, let's say, kind of, you know, 40 yards. Yeah, it's just shrapnel, ev sh it's shrapnel just explosions everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. just blasting all over the place. And if you're caught in that, you, you, you're just 
you're in big, big trouble. And both Brooks and Saunders are killed. And it's just this, this completely devastating day that, that in a matter of moments they've lost sorry, eight men dead, six of which are officers. They've lost yeah. four, no four of which are officers. They've, they've got lost four four yeah four troop uh, four officers just just like that, just like that. God, yeah, and I tank mean, commanders. But, and 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 that and is that because and is that a product of not being able to? Because we I mean, this strangely, this is going to lead to our quest first question. Is that because they're not joined up with the infantry, or is that likely to have happened anyway? Because the way the Germans are defending, or you know, because because the, the, the that's the sort of what if around it all, isn't it? Is if you can if you can make things work between infantry and tanks, that kind of stuff's less likely to happen, isn't it? Um, you know, certainly yes. being 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 nobbled by Panzerfausts on your way up a road is a thing. That's the infantry's job is to make sure that doesn't happen. Hundred percent. They're supposed to be there on the back of the tanks, and they've and, yeah, and they're yeah. not. So so it was planned that they were going to go in that previous night and get to the top. So they're there at yeah. dawn. Yeah, but yeah. they can't because it's mined and it's defended, and they can't get there. It's yeah. too late, and they can't get down there. And they can't see. And well, and, it's, and also, and it's yeah, it's just too dangerous traveling night attacks in tanks right. without art- artificial moonlight or searchlights. It's just it's ridiculous because you could be crept up on a bloke could be sat in a ditch and you'll never see him with a Panzerfaust and you're done for. Yeah. So so yeah, yeah. exactly. So 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 the DCLI and the Worcesters have gone over that night because all they've got to do is walk through a river. And they've, yeah. they've made a very, very tentative foothold, sort of bridgehead on the other side of the Noiro. Yeah. But when Stan turns up in his point tank and talks to the DCLI, they've already got their heads down with some enemy which are up in the trees on this yeah. steep bit that, that the tank simply well, can't look, go. So the whole thing is just go- broken down. But you look on Google Maps and you can see you can, you see, can see the you can you see can that see band, can't you? So if you yeah, look at yeah, if yeah. you look at okay, you're looking at Google Maps. Can you see Cambacore? Um, well, I've got it on the I've, I just had it on the satellite because then you get the the the, the woods and the Cambacore, right? Okay, so okay, yes. and then go go, yes, go yeah, east. Yeah, 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 and can you see the D eight hundred three going going east yeah. directly out? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, and it winds yeah, that road legs. That road that wriggles up the hill. So that's that, the road you're talking about. That's the road they come out, and so he comes out at the top of those woods, yeah. And then, and then, he, and, and Stan goes goes to the left, so he go, goes sort of um, due yeah. east, and then back due around east, the yeah. edge, the far edge of the woods. Yeah, yeah, I can with see with his digi track, yeah. and you can see Berjou, uh, and Galvin is does what he's not supposed to do. He just charges straight into the village, straight, straight, and gets brewed village, up yeah. on the edge. Yeah, but anyway, afterwards, so so that, so eventually, you know, the, the village is taken on the seventeenth, the next day. They, they they have a big fight and there's, there's this amazing passage that is that, that Stuart Hills writes quite early on after the war just a little passage for himself it's it's not yeah. in his book that is then kind of I think he he, he yeah is ghost written by a by a friend of his he he writes it at the time this bit at the time and he just says it is absolutely impossible to describe what it is like being in a tank where you have absolutely no idea what is going on, no idea what is ahead of you, and thinking, any second now, this might be my last moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just thinking, flipping act. The permanent terror of it. The permanent terror. Yeah. And, you know, and it eases as the day goes on. And eventually, by <laughs> evening, the, the infantry turn up and it's sort of dusk, you know. And again, it's, it's, it's what... Um, uh, um, Jonathan Ware was saying the other day when he was saying, saying you know, yeah. it just sucks speed, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. so the day has just gone. But but it's the most amazing thing. Anyway, subsequent to that, I, so I, th- there were lots of questions that I had. So I just rang up Stan and 
uh, I've been talking to him and he's been incredibly helpful. And it then turns out that there is a little museum in Berjou. Really? Yes. And after the after the, eventually they got you know part, the padre couldn't get into into um galvin's tank for several days it was still burning on the 17th and you know again he had the sort of ghastly job of having to separate the bits of charcoal um and eventually the tank was bulldozed out of the way and it rolled over and eventually was picked up for scrap and all the rest of it and i can send you a picture actually of the, of the rolled over tank anyway when when the tank was taken away and many 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 years later that cat badge was found. So what had happened, that was the beret badge of one of the guys that was incinerated in Galvin's tank, which then fell out of the turret when it rolled over. Gosh. Incredible. Yeah. So it's been it's been a really, really amazing weekend trying to piece all this together because the problem is, is that Stuart Hill's account, Arthur Register's account, Stan's account, none of them quite tally. No, but I've they got never the, do though, do they? They never do. And I've got the wartime maps and I've got Google Earth yeah. Uh, and I've got aerial photographs and all the rest of it. And trying to kind of, again, trying to kind of sort of marry that all together and kind of piece it all together has been has been the most fantastic fun and frustrating in equal measures. But just that, that just but looking at that moving. road, that road, the D803, there's enough kinks and bends in that that you, you do not, you, you have no way of knowing what's around the corner, what's waiting for you. No. And countryside where hiding is, you know, because you can see, you can also see where the undulations are in the countryside where you're, in, you know, you're, you're just in... You're in trouble. Anyway, should we answer? Should we do a question or should we take a break? Let's take a break and then we'll be back with your questions. Uh, we'll see you in a tick. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Um, uh, right now, we have some questions to get through, James. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I was a bit long-winded on that, but as you can tell, it's, uh, it's, it's been it's been really. I've just. I've just found it so fascinating. I can't tell you. It re- really is. It's oh, just amazing. Sounds, I mean, given, I mean, you know, given, given what you, you, you know, the description of when you're in a tank and you don't know, you, you can't, you, you don't know, you can't see anything. You don't know what's in front of you. You don't know what's around you. No wonder the accounts differ. differ you know, right. If, if, the, if that's the circumstances you're operating under, of course, of course, the accounts differ. How could they, how could they possibly match? Is yeah. The, um, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, that's absolutely right. Um, now, uh, we have a question from regular listener, le- le- listener, Leslie Moore, who's been in touch to ask um, something that I know many of you would like answering. I was wondering if you might be able to tell us more about army unit groups, e.g. the size of a company, a battalion, a battle group, for those with no military bra- background or, frankly, clue, and how they are used together. Well, there we are. Yes. James, well, well yes. A, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I no, Le- Leslie, you're, you're quite right. And it, it's it's one of those things that there is, you know, when people are talking about the Second World War and talking about battles and fighting and stuff, there is so much assumed knowledge. Um, uh, and that's really unfair. And it's unfair of us. Um, and it is quite hard to sort of get your head around what all these things are. And people sort of start talking about brigades and battalions and companies, yeah. and teams and army groups and all the rest of it. And what the hell does that mean? Well, OK, so so. Nowadays, we talk more in terms of brigades, um, certainly in terms yeah. of the size of, um, of of the British Army. But but the kind of the unit by which the scale of armies was judged in World War Two and Second World War was the division, and divisions varied in size, but roughly, give or take, were about fifteen to sixteen thousand men. 
Now, yeah. in the Germans, you might have a panzer division with 20,000 men and you might have an infantry division by 1944 of only kind of 10,000 or 11,000. Yeah. But but British and American divisions, generally speaking, stayed at about 15,000, 16,000. And I think if you think of it in those terms, you're not going too far, far wrong. So, yeah. so a corps is two or more divisions and you could have an expanded corps which had three or four divisions in it sometimes. But, yeah. it, but it had to have at least two. And an army is a unit with at least two corps, so at least four divisions, but generally would be more. <laughs> and an army group is obviously more than one army. So, you yeah. know, uh, 18th Army Group in Tunisia, for example, has 8th Army and 1st Army. Um, yeah. So that's how, and 21st Army Group is 2nd is Army and 2nd Canadian Army. So that's how you work that out. Um, yeah. Then going down the scale, in, in British units, you have regiments. Uh, uh, brigades rather uh, and in yeah. americans you have uh, and germans you have regiments but a regiment or a brigade uh, and if you're talking about an infantry brigade would have three battalions plus yeah. associated troops so you would have service troops medical troops um you would have a bit of artillery as well attached yeah. and, and so on um but but the fighting core of it is is your three infantry battalions now an yeah. infantry battalion is made up of 845 men full establishment no yeah ish because they're not always 100 percent. but but basically 845 which is 809 other ranks so that is non-commissioned officers so you know warrant officers staff sergeants sergeants corporals um lance corporals um and just privates um and 36 officers that makes up your 845 now they are then divided into companies four companies a b c and d each of which are 127 men. So they are um, three platoons of 37 men each. And then you have a company headquarters as well of 16 men. Yeah. And then your your platoons... What's in the head, well, what's in the company headquarters? What does that comprise? So that because, would be... Uh, so a company headquarters a, would be... An, in, an infantry company, the company's a rifleman, essentially. But yeah. that means... But that doesn't just mean men with rifles. That means with supporting arms, so uh, uh, Bren guns. Um, m- m- well, there'll be a mortar platoon as well, won't there? I mean, let's d- d- you know. So well, you would have mortars <laughs> attached. So your, your 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 platoon would be thirty-seven men. So that would be a platoon um, officer, which would be a subaltern, a, a, a second lieutenant or a first lieutenant. Then you would yeah. have a um, platoon sergeant. Um, then you would have a mortar team. Um, you'd have a company runner, yep. um, Batman, that kind of thing, you know, officers, soldier, servant. And then you'd have three sections of 10 men each, yeah. which would be commanded by a corporal or, or, a, or a halfjack, you know, lance corporal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And each one of those would have a Bren gun attached. And you would have a um, maybe two Thompsons or, or Sten guns, one Bren gun and, the, and six riflemen, something like that, yeah. or, or seven riflemen. So that that would be your section, and your section is your smallest your smallest unit, um, yeah. and so and so that how how it works. And in an armoured regiment, you would have six hundred ninety eight men, of which around three hundred are in tanks, and of which four hundred are kind of support troops, um, yeah. you know, clerks, um, service troops, B echelon and A echelon, and A echelon is kind of ammunition. Um, uh, food and fuel. B echelon is kind of more uh, less urgent supplies, I suppose. Yeah, is, is what you say. So, and, and you would have thirty six officers in that regiment as well. 
So just to put this in perspective, Sherwood Rangers uses, loses 44 officers in the Normandy campaign alone and 175 other ranks. That's so, 120, that's 120% attrition rate yeah. on officers. Yeah. So statistically, you've got zero chance of getting through the Normandy campaign, let alone, yeah. you know, till the end of the war. So it's, it, yeah. it just underlines sort of how brutal it is. But, but so that, so, so that is how your units work. And of course, you know, even in something like a like an armoured regiment, your, your fighting squadrons, they've each got, uh, well, start of the campaign, they've got five troops of three tanks, but it then becomes four troops of four, plus a yep. squadron headquarters of four. So it's sort of yep. 20, 19 tanks per, per squadron, times yep. three, plus three at the um, uh, regimental headquarters. So you, uh, And then there's a recce platoon as well, uh, a recce squadron rather. Um, yep. So overall, you've got sixty Sherman tanks and then nineteen Stuarts, you know, Honeys, yep. the M3s, yep. lighter tanks, plus uh, sundry scout cars, um, half tracks, all the rest of it. Then the rest well, of I'm, it is all trucks and and fifteen hundred weights and three tonners and that kind of stuff. And uh, would you have a, a like a, 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 a an FOO tank attached as well for the Royal Artillery? Yes. Yeah, so so um, you had um, so the Essex Yeomanry were attached to Eighth Armoured Brigade. So they were the the artillery field artillery. And they were in so, sextons, so, and they would have a and they would have a as you say they would have a forward observation officer in a tank. And they're off. The oh, they're operating in batteries. So how's the artillery div- divvied up? Yeah, so artillery is is two batteries of um of of twelve. So a, a regiment is twenty four guns. Yeah, and then you would have right. a troop of whatever it is a because because three because the artillery the uh, because because I mean once you move away from the you you then get to ancillary arms like the sappers who are you know they're in they're in they can be they can have been squadrons or troops or regiments. Um, because after all, the, 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 when you hear the word regiment, the other thing that Le- Leslie needs to know about the regiment is the British run a regimental system, which is different to the, say, the American regimental. In, in, in the American army, I think called a regiment is the equivalent of a battalion, isn't it? No, brigade. So, a brigade, rather. Yeah. So then yeah. there are so you, have, you would have three infantry yeah. battalions in one regiment. It's yeah. the same as the exactly, German system. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. But in the in the British army, the regiments are... They're, they're the locality recruitments, and this is from the Haldane reforms at the end of the at the end of the nineteenth century, isn't it? Where yep. there's a decision to to localize, um, uh, 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 give a local identity to um, infantry. Uh, uh, yeah, so they stop being the sixtieth foot and become the whatever. Yeah, exactly, fifty fifty second regiment of foot or whatever. They become the they become the Bucks Light Infantry or whatever. Yes, and so so you get so so what you'll see. In the British Army, however, and Monty doesn't like having two battalions from the same regiment serving in the same brigade together. He doesn't because what he doesn't want is hard local impact out of a big offensive, for instance, or a big a big battle. That's you know, if you're they're all King's Own Scottish Borderers, suddenly you've got a high casualty bill, you know, in one area, and he's not keen on having that feedback though. But by by of course, late nineteen forty four, you look at the fifty second Lowland Division. There's Cockneys fighting with the jocks uh, at that point. They call themselves the jocks as well. I'm not being dismissive here. Um, That, you know, because people are just combed through and put into outfits. However, because there's a manpower crisis by the end of 1944. But regiments in the British Army are the local, the localities by which they're recruited. Battalions will be part of a regiment and put in a brigade. And sometimes you get you'll you'll get brigades that are generally localised. But not specifically, won't you? So you'll get yeah. an Irish, 
You'll get an Irish brigade, for instance, yeah. but they won't all be from the same part of Ireland, in theory. Though, of course, you know, the, 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 this, all, this all, by the end of the war, is kind of academic, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it absolutely it's, is. But the interesting thing about, about say, an infantry division, say, you, you might think, OK, well, you know, 16,000 men in an infantry division, that, that, you know, that sounds like quite a lot of men. But then you've got to break it down, and, and, and it's sort of like an inverted, inverted pyramid, inverted triangle. With the longer line at the top, and that's your sixteen thousand yeah. men, and, yeah. and the and the point at the bottom is your actual at your you know attacking at any one moment. So yeah. so you would always have you would always have one say you would have three battalion you'd have three brigades in your yeah. in your division of which only two would be up front and one would be in reserve. Yeah. Of your three battalions in each of those brigades, you would have one two up front and one in reserve. So suddenly your attacking force, instead of being nine battalions in the in the firing line, is actually only four. Yeah. Then you would always have ten percent less left out of battle. Yeah. So instead of having eight hundred forty five men, you've got you know whatever it is, you know. More like yeah yeah. Seven hundred. Battalions tend. Yeah, but the battalions tend to operate around of six hundred and fifty fighting strength, don't they? Yeah. So so you're whittling it yeah. down. You're whittling it down. Yeah. And and. Then you would have two, you know, maybe two companies up front and two in reserve or three companies up yeah. front and one in reserve. So suddenly your divisional attack in terms of actually infantry that are in the firing line at the start of your attack, it might only be 1,500 men. Yeah. Well, and then divide that up because because within the, let's say there's there's two companies attacking, they're doing it with, there's two platoons going forward, one right. in reserve. Yeah. <laughs> And then the and platoon's so on, so on. doing that, and the, the platoon's doing that. And suddenly, that it's only ten blokes. It, 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 suddenly, it's only ten blokes. Well, that's that that that's always the thing, you know. When we looked at those aerial photographs, that in the end, there's one tank at the front of the Normandy landings. You know, on on Gold Beach, um, in that in Jig Green, there's one tank at the front of that. Yeah. And when you look at the when you look at the reverse, you look out to sea, and you see the you. See, I mean, you, if you want an illustration of this. Look out to sea on D-Day and you see this colossal effort, basically, you know, in Le Hamel to put one tank ashore to go first. <laughs> you know, that's five, five blokes, all that effort for five blokes. I mean, yeah. it's quite a but, thing. It is, it, but it is amazing. And, or, or you end up being Sam Perry, kind of climbing up that road on your own. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, is um, these, these uh, sizes... And, uh, you know, the, the, it does always, and with attrition, is that a battalion can go from being full strength to, to really not being able to muster much more than a company pretty quickly. Yeah. You, can have a, you can have a bad morning and companies are, companies are being, you know, or, or platoons are being reabsorbed into other platoons or companies are reorganising. And there's a permanent state of reorganisation going on. All the time, if you're, yes. if you're in action. I mean, I've just been reading, I've just been reading... Um, about the Heinsberg battle, which is which is um, uh, uh, the fifty second Lowland get involved. Yeah, in. my copy's just um, arrived. And Peter White he talks about. So basically, he spends the he spends an entire day lying in a freezing ditch in on a day in February, yeah. nineteen forty five, being mortared, being being mortared and shelled, and the, and the and the you know and and the difference between the shrapnel hitting you is the lip of the of the of the rut you're lying in. And they can't move. Every time they fire, they draw more fire on themselves and they're completely visible to an enemy position. Yeah. And 
And they're stuck, they're stuck, they're stuck, they're stuck, they're stuck. And they get a message. You, ab you have, he gets a message. You absolutely have to come back to Company HQ right now. And he says, so in the, in the, so he's gone from being unable to have any influence over any aspect of the battle whatsoever to getting up and running down the hill and, and saying to himself as he, and he says to his sergeant, um, uh, uh, I'll, you know, you, you're in charge till I get back. And he says, and I'm, I, I'm still surprised at myself for saying I'll get back because I didn't expect I would get back. And off he goes and he's knocked over. Um, so I think something hits his pack and they all think he's a goner. And he gets up and he gets down to Company HQ, further down the hill, where they've been they've been mortared. And because they're dug in by some trees, they've been hit by air bursts of the mortars exploding on the trees. Wow. So they've done much worse yeah. than, uh, than these guys lying on it. They, they may have been lying somewhere exposed, but the ground was soft and the mortars are going into the ground. And not not as exploding as exploding as dangerously. And suddenly he's the company commander, so he's gone wow. from being, a, you know, lying lying in a ditch, unable to influence events at all, to being in charge, then and there, having to get on the net and say this is our situation. Also deal with two of his friends dead in front of him, you know. And and so when we talk about this, you know, when you talk about these big armies and that there's 15,000 men in the division or how many people there are in a battalion, suddenly this bloke's a company commander. He's got to make these decisions for a role he had no inkling he'd have to do a minute ago. I mean, it's it's quite extraordinary. Yeah. And that and that, that, that you are in this permanent churn of reorganisation all the time. So the... so. And of course, this is the thing that beguiles Hitler in the end, isn't it? He's looking at a map going, well, I've got, you know, I've got an army there, haven't I? And you think, well, no, or, or, or you know, there's well, a division. Churchill to a certain extent as well. Well, yes, in Churchill too, yes. The, the, the numbers are beguiling if you're if you're thinking in terms of divisions rather than what a division actually is when it's in the heat of battle, which is, you know, in a permanent state of flux and reorganisation and, and attrition. Yeah, and you're, you know, your platoon might be going forward on the first day of Operation Epsom, for example, on the 26th of June, and, yeah. and you'd be quite well spaced out as a as a section. Yeah. You know, you'd be kind of good, good sort of five to ten yards apart, but a mortar shell or something might just land right in the middle of you, and that might be seven of you gone just like that. You might have two dead, yeah. five five wounded, yeah. yeah, just like that, yeah, yeah. And you've been told to press on, but it's your mates, so you probably do tend to the wounded. You know, and the, for every bloke tending to the wounded, that's also someone out of um, out of the advance, and that and, and <clears> that that could you know that could be game over. And and yeah. after all, so the, the message of all, all this is, don't complain about people being too slow. <laughs> you try bloody doing this. <laughs> right, uh, let's move on to our next question. Now, and Paul Paul Clark says, um, uh, well, he starts off um, with brilliant podcasts, so we'll 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 you know. We'll read that one out. Thank you, Paul. We'll take that. Uh, uh, my granddad was an actor in a concert party and in plays. He gave me his programmes, but never really discussed it any further. Were these men considered fighters? Did they have other roles within the army? What was the opinion of proper soldiers? Now, that's a good question. Um, well, combined services entertainment, um, which is the, th the thing that sort of exists now, is that, you know, the, the, that, that's what there was during the war. You look at um, someone like Kenny, isn't it? Well, ENSA, yeah, 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 yeah. There's ENSA, but there's CSE as well, I think, because um, uh, Kenneth Williams was, he was a mapping sapper, which was a si similar job to the one he had. He goes out to Ceylon and then he asks to be transferred um, to be an entertainer and is transferred to be an entertainer. And there he meets uh, uh, all sorts of, all sorts of, like, I think Stanley Baxter, all sorts of other people who then go on to be post-war 
um, uh, stars. And the thing is, uh, and then Milligan, Spike Milligan, after he's um, uh, when he's convalescing in, in Italy and he's sent to this sort of big, big house, which he says in the which he always describes as full of other loonies. He's I mean, and he's been doing entertainment, battery entertainment anyway, like at Christmas, he'll put a battery concert on and it's been running it anyway as part of the sort of the fun he's been trying to have mm. in his artillery battery. So when they're in a quiet time, when they're in the rear, he'll put stuff together. He puts Christmas concerts together. So so he's just a soldier doing it off his own bat anyway. Yeah. So that's happening. And then there's the official stuff. But Milligan, after, when he's convalescing in, in Italy in 44, him and a load of other people who are who are unwell, who have had uh, been invalided out with combat fatigue, put stuff on. So I think, you know, I I, I mean, I don't know what the opinion of, of proper soldiers is, but I think what you've got going on here is the army appreciating Kenneth Williams is no bloody use to you in a slit trench whatsoever or, or doing or maybe he's not even very good at mapping. But he's much more used to you as someone who can deliver good morale. I mean, in the First World War, this stuff all develops organically because the army have never thought about this before. And the First World War creates this strange opportunity because it's only over the channel for people to visit the front in a way that they, they, they haven't really done before. And, uh, and after all, because it's static and you get um, there's a woman who sets up. And she's all super connected. She's a uh, husband's a theatre producer. I can't remember her name. She's a husband's a theatre theater producer. She knows the royal family. And she sets up a thing that sort of takes Shakespeare around backstage areas, <laughs> around behind the lines areas and, and enlightening talks for the men and all this sort of thing. And then it and that develops with quite a lot of funding and, and proper shows. And then you get and then on top of that, you get, um, you know, um, the men doing it because because. As well as the official stuff, the men organise it themselves. And there's a Rob, um, uh, there's a really fantastic stuff in Bridgetown's book Tommy about a fantastic thing about these generals who are trading um, female impersonators, right? Um, and there's there's what there's some gunner, and they offer to swap, like they they want him basically they want him kept out of the line because he's too valuable for morale. And these generals are trading um, uh, entertainers. As part of the sort of uh, morale currency, How amazing um, on the on the Western Front. So this, so the army, the army, the army, you know, knows it's got it's got to provide this as a thing that that people need. And once it's you know once the demands there, and, and of course you've and of course you've got big stars visiting Burma. Like, you know, there's yes. all that footage. Of, it's Vera Lynn in Burma, isn't there? There's all that footage of her going yeah. out there, which is quite extraordinary, really. Yeah, um, and how appreciated it is. I mean, the bottom line yeah. is, is, is what everyone has to understand is that the vast majority of troops are service troops in the in the British Army, yeah. and yeah, so yeah. there is a there is general sort of grumbling that they've got off lightly, but but actually it's remarkably little how much people yeah. complain about people who've got it slightly cushier. Yeah, um, and, and I think you know I've been reading a lot about people sort of coming out of the line and and just saying there is this just this incredible relief that that. This overwhelming sense of relief that you're suddenly out of the line, that you can have a, yeah. you, you don't have to kind of get up at four, you don't have to, you can have a decent yeah. breakfast, you can actually just yeah. get some sleep. You, you know, you haven't got yeah. people shooting at you for a bit, and, and the Ensa parties are all really appreciated. They all just go, you know, we had an Ensa party came and it was fantastic, and George Formby turned up, and you know, and and how brilliant it all was. And there's no, there's no resentment about it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Isn't this great? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think yeah. there was I a mean, kind of acceptance for the most part. 
you know, it, it, it's part of the kind of British Tommies, particularly the Tommies. But I, but it, you know, it's the same as as, as sort of um, Joe and Bill in uh, in the Bill Malden cartoon in the in the American, you know, in Yank yeah. magazine and stuff. You know, frontline soldiers are always lugubrious. They're always sort of bitching and moaning and yeah. grousing. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of sort of part and parcel. But but I don't think it's it. I think there is a, a general acceptance that you know you're in the infantry, they're in the armour. They're in concert parties. They're but, uh, it's just the way it is. It'd be interesting, though. I, I should. I, I'm going to. I'm going to. Uh, what I will do is I'll have a dig around and see if I can find any histories of um uh, of that and have a read of it and g- give a give a, a a better answer for Paul's question. Because yeah, uh, uh, and I and a friend of mine, a, co- a comedy friend of mine, who's a water rat, a member of the water, order of water rats. Hmm. Um, he he knows he. I um, mean, ages ago, he said, "Oh, do you want me to do stars in battle dress?" So maybe we'll get him in to talk about it. Yeah, that um, would be good, wouldn't it? It would be good. I, I, I keep meaning to. I keep meaning to ch- chasing up on it because he does know about it. Anyway, we've we've run our allotted span here. Um, we we've... managed to get get through two questions. Two questions. Uh, thanks for <laughs> listening, for everyone. Us. I think it's pretty strong. We're back Thursday morning, and of course, we'll be live streaming on Thursday night. We hope to see you all then with Bernard. Uh, we got Bernard on Thursday for the Bernard, live cast. Bernard, Bernard Castillo, yeah, Bernard Castillo, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Tschüssi, tschüss, everyone. Arrivederci.